I mean, I remember right where I was standing. And there's only so many events where you kind of remember where you are, and then you remember the announcement coming in, and, and, and you're, it's kind of rolling out, and it's not full, but I remember I was in our home when I was in Chicago, and it was in the morning, and the announcements started to come out on the 9-11 attack that took place on the Twin Towers in New York. Do you remember that? Do you remember where you were? Do you remember who told you about that? And do you remember who you were with and what was going on? And, and of course, that became a pivotal, pivotal time in our country as people lost their lives and lost their loved ones. And obviously, it led us into a war that in many ways, obvious, continues this day. But I remember watching and reading some of the accounts of the memorial service that were held for the victims. And I'm thinking of the one, there was a number of them, but the one in the stadium in New York that Oprah Winfrey hosted. And at this particular memorial service, there were priests, there were rabbis, there were ministers, there were Muslims, there were Hindus, and each of the religions had one of their clerics, one of their teachers, one of their priests or their mullahs step up and speak. But to me, what was most interesting was what the Protestant minister read from Romans chapter 8. I don't know if it's what he read, it's what he left unsaid that was revealing. He read from Romans 8, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. You know Romans 8. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God. And he stopped. He stopped. Because he left something out, did he not? Will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, I can't look into his motive, but he left out the name Christ Jesus. And the question would be, why did he do that? I mean, it could very well be that he sacrificed the truth on the altar of tolerance. And it seems like many are doing it today. It seems to be in vogue today. Award-winning actress Hilary Swank who won the 1999 Oscar winner for Best Actress, she was asked this. She was asked, where does Jesus fit into all of your and your husband's success? Here's what she said. She said, quote, it's not like we're Catholic or Christian or Episcopal or practice Judaism or Buddhism even. 
We just kind of believe in a higher power. She said, that doesn't mean a man God or someone on a cross. It just means that we all have God-like qualities. We have the power inside of us to do good things, end of quote. I mean, that's kind of where we are today. I mean, talk about God. Talk about religion. Talk about a higher power. Talk about a power inside, but whatever you do, don't mention the name of Jesus Christ. What would John say to that? Take your Bible this morning and look over to 1 John chapter 2. And we come to that wonderful, wonderful section in Scripture. We're looking at verses 18 down through 27. Let me read for you 18 through 25. Children. He says, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they are not all, that they are all not of us. But you have an anointing by the Holy One, and you he says, all have knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will walk or you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. May God bless his scripture. Now, as we've been walking through 1 John, we're looking at it and we, we kind of call it a circular pattern. He's weaving a series of tests throughout 1 John. We've stated all along that there's doctrinal tests, there's moral tests that you've got to obey, there's relational tests that you've got to love one another. This morning, and in this text, in chapter 2, 18, actually all the way probably through chapter 4, it's a doctrinal test. And the question would be, do you have a true view of Jesus Christ? How do you look at your Christology? How important is that? Well, John's going to say it's vital. Now, remember what he does here is he presents a genuine believer side by side with the false teachers. A genuine believer who has assurance set aside a false teacher who was once part of the flock and then went out from the flock. So he addresses those who have departed and those who have remained loyal. Now, as we walk through this section, he's presenting four different contrasts that direct us to the assurance of our salvation. He's contrasting the false with the true, the darkness with the light, so forth. Now, as with any test, some will pass and some will fail the test, but the test enable the believer to have assurance. And in addition, it will also enable us to understand why some defect from the faith. Now, in these contrasts, and it's just true of the gospel, 
there are only two responses, either a denial or a confession. That's how John is. He just speaks that straightforward. There's not a third category. You're either denying Christ or you're confessing Christ. But let's look at these contrasts. And we touched on the first two last week. Remember we said, number one, recognize the false antichrist. Namely, their defection. Now pick up the text in 18, just a touch of review. He says, children, it's the last hour. And you have heard that antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Here he he quickly kind of pulled us in by that tender address of children, but he says it's the last hour. We defined last week that the last hour was the time between the first and the second coming of Christ. Beloved, we are in the last hour. And he mentions, you can see it in 18, the Antichrist. Then he mentions the Antichrist have already come. In the first instance, the Antichrist is that individual who will emerge at the end of the world. And the second phrasing there, Antichrist, plural, it refers to any false teacher who opposes Christ. In other words, if you just put that word together, they're Antichrist. They are against Christ. And so we said last week out of the scripture that the Antichrist, or Antichrist plural, is any person who is against Christ. Any person in this text who attacks the deity of Christ. Any person that you might even know in your life that is hostile to the nature of Christ, namely his deity, namely his humanity, that is, John says here, the spirit of of antichrist and so he tells us that these people are amongst us but they went out from us and then he says in 19 they went out from us but they were not of us if they had been with us they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us now these are not people who can lose their salvation no these are not people who were in and then suddenly lost These were people who were never part of the flock of God in a relationship with the living God and with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I really think that some people who teach that you can lose your salvation, I don't always think it's from a wrong heart, they're actually just trying to deal with people that they grew up with. Deal with people who they were in fellowship with. Deal with people who for years partook of the bread with them and partook of the cup with them and served the Lord. And then all of a sudden they turn left and they've never come back. And so it's easy for some to say that, hey, they lost the faith. They've lost their salvation. John actually said, as we studied last week, they were really never part of us. He says they went out from us. And it said that if he says if they were us with us, they would have continued with us. But he says they went out that it might become very, very evident that they are not of us. And I think what John's trying to say to you and to me is don't be shaken then. Don't let people who have departed from their faith or who have made false claims against Christ cause you to doubt what you know to be true. The fact that some have left have simply revealed the hypocrisy. They were never part of the flock. They were not true believers. So he opens this section up. He says, recognize, Grace Church of the Valley, these false antichrists and recognize their defection. But then secondly, he said, recognize the true believers. The true believers. And I said 
they have the anointing. Now, he gives these two characteristics here that mark out a genuine believer. You can see it in verse 20. He says, but you, and he always comes back with that personal pronoun there, but you, second person, you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. And we noted that the verb form of that word in the New Testament is used five different times. Remember, and with one exception in Hebrews 1.9, the verb always refers to the anointing of the Holy Spirit. He's saying, you haven't defected. You haven't departed. Why? Because you have been anointed. You have been anointed here in this text with the Holy Spirit. You received, when you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit is the imparting of the Holy Spirit to the believer at regeneration. And the Spirit of God enables the believer to take God's truth and to understand it. Remember, this is the promise of Christ that we touched on in John 14, 7, 17. Another helper, he said, I will give to you who will be with you forever. And he said that the Spirit is the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive. But then Jesus said, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be what? In you. And so here's the mark of assurance. You've not defected. You're here. You have the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but when I'm praying right there at communion, and we're singing lover of my soul, I'm just sitting there thinking, Lord, I just want to love you more. Lord, I just, I just want to be faithful to you. Lord, I never want to disappoint you. I just want, I want to love you. I want you, you love me. And I want to give myself completely to you. Now, the only way we can do that is when the Holy Spirit's in your heart. He says, you haven't defected. So here's the mark of assurance. Here you are this morning. You've been anointed. You say, when was I anointed? When you came to Christ. When you came to Christ, you were born again by the Spirit of God. And when you became a believer, He placed the Holy Spirit in you. It's the Spirit of truth. And one of the chief roles of the Holy Spirit is to bear witness of the truth that you, in fact, are one of His. In fact, Jesus said in John 16, 13, that when the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you unto all the truth. And so when you came to Christ, you were anointed with this Holy Spirit whose purpose is to guide you unto all the truth. See, these false teachers, these antichrists, they went out. It was proved that they were not of us. If they were of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out from us that it might be genuinely demonstrated that they're not of us, but not you. You've been guaranteed, if you will, by the Holy Spirit. You say, well, Scott, how do, we, how do we understand that? Well, you've not only been anointed. Look again at the text at the end of 20. He says, you have all, what? Knowledge. In other words, you've not been misled. And again, this doesn't mean that there's no need for the teaching ministry in the church. After all, is not John the Apostle teaching in this very letter? Yes, he is, and there's teachers. But here, this word simply is this, that by the Holy Spirit, you discern truth from error. You have the ability to resist the Antichrist. You're not taken away by false teachers. And praise God for that. 
God Almighty is working in terms of your assurance. He's anointed you, if you will, by the Spirit of God, and he's given you all knowledge. And so look what John says in 21. He says, I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. And again, it's just reflective that he says, you know the truth. I'm thinking of John 14, 26, when it says the helper, the Holy Spirit, when the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. So as you sit here this morning, as you hold the word of God, as we read the letters from the apostles, you have the guarantee by the Holy Spirit that the Holy Spirit role in the life of those apostles was to guarantee and to bring to the remembrance all that I said to you. And in fact, it's emblematic. We don't have time of the new covenant here in the New Testament when it began to speak of that new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 34, when the new covenant would come and it said, no longer shall each of you teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord. It says, therefore, they all shall know me from the least of them to the greatest of them declares the Lord. So here's the assurance for a believer. So he says, recognize first these false antichrists, recognize their defection. Secondly, recognize true believers and our anointing and our knowledge that we have from God himself by the Holy Spirit. Now let's pick up the text here thirdly. The third contrast is recognize the false antichrist and specifically their denial, okay? The false antichrist and their denial. John hasn't actually spelled it out till right now. He named them antichrist, but now he shows you what they taught. Look at it in verse 22. It says there, Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Stop right there for a moment. Who is the liar but he who denies Jesus is the Christ? Rather abrupt, is it not? That's John's style. And he's really not messing around, is he? I mean, this is John, the apostle of love that we sometimes uh, say of him. This is the apostle that leaned on the breast of Jesus Christ. Yes, we understand that. But he says, listen, who is the liar but he who denies Jesus is the Christ? Now, this is not the first time that he's spoken about being a liar. Look back at chapter 1. Do you remember that? Look back at chapter 1, verse 6. John clearly says there, if we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we, what? Lie. In other words, you can talk all you want about God, all you want about religion, but if you walk as a present tense pattern in darkness, you lie. And he's going to go on to say that the ones who abide are the ones who are in the light. But he also spoke of this in chapter 2, look at verse Four, John says there, whoever says that I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a, what? Is a liar. So you say, you can say you have fellowship with him, but if you're walking in darkness, you lie. You can say you know God, but if you disobey his commandments, you lie. And here, 
there were some in the church that were probably in the mix and then they had departed who were probably saying they know God, who were probably saying, I believe in a form of Jesus Christ. But here John says, who is a liar? And here specifically is what they said is they deny, look at the wording, and I'm reading at least out of the ESV. They deny that Jesus is the, what? Christ. And he says, if you do that, you're a liar. Now, when you see that phrase there, just a little background, that Jesus is the Christ, you're probably thinking in a Jewish context, and I don't think that's exactly what John is after. You might be thinking of Jewish people that reject the Christ out of the Old Testament. Oh, they had to identify Jesus as a man, but when they get to the Messiah, they rejected him as the Messiah. But here in this context, it is much broader than that. He mentions the names there, deny that Jesus, his humanity, is the Christ. And then later he's going to talk about the Father and the Son. So he's addressing names Jesus. He's addressing Jesus as the Messiah, no question. But he's also addressing him as the Son. And so the implication here is that these terms, Jesus and Christ, are more significant than merely names. In the context here, it is to deny, listen, because it goes for then and it goes for now. It is to deny that God became incarnate in the flesh, if you will, in Jesus as the Christ. Here's what the Antichrist were teaching. They were denying, again, that God became incarnate in the flesh in Jesus as the Christ. It is specifically the denial of his humanity and the denial of his deity. It is a denial that he is fully God and it is a denial that he is fully man, however that might look. In other words, some people deny that he's fully God, but they express his humanity. Other people express his humanity, but they deny his deity. See, during the latter half of the first century, John exposed what we've been talking about, the heresy of the Gnostic teachers. And amongst these Gnostic teachers was an Egyptian Jewish man by the name of Serinthus, C-E-R-I-N, T-H-U-S. And what Serinthus claimed, and you know, I can tell you what he claimed. He claimed that a divine emanation, okay, came upon Christ at the time of his baptism, but Serinthus taught that it left him before Jesus died on the cross. And so here, when you put that together, to deny Jesus as the Christ is to deny the human Jesus, but it is also to deny the divine Christ that they are united, if you will, in one person. And this is the age-old problem. In the second century, a false teacher by the name of Marcion said that Christ was a phantom. He really didn't appear. In the next century of church history, there was a man by the name of Arius who was said to, and I'm reading from church history, to adore the name of God is what he said, but he actually denied him of his eternal deity. And what John wants to be so clear here, as though he penned it today, is how he's giving it to you by his spirit, is that anyone who proclaims this teaching is 
a what? Liar. Now, what's interesting, look at the text, though. I, I, I probably said it wrong. Is a liar. That's not what the text, it says that, but let me get particular. Look at verse 22, and I'm reading in the ESV. Who is the liar? So we can say he's a, a liar, but he's the liar. In other words, here is the lie that exceeds all lies. In other words, it strikes at the very heart of the Christian faith. To deny, beloved, the incarnation is to denounce the validity of the gospel altogether. And when these teachers came in, you could just see they were teaching this false doctrine. Let me put it this way very simply to you. If Jesus were not the God-man... Okay, at the same time, fully God and fully man, he could not be the Savior. In other words, he must be fully man to die for man, and he must be fully God for his death to atone for our sins. And so John just clearly says here, these antichrists, or I would even say these cults, are the greatest deceivers of all. In fact, just turn over to the next chapter. John will repeat this again. Look at chapter 4 and look specifically at verse 2. Very clear. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from what? God. Verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess... Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the what? Of the Antichrist. It's very simple. So here's what they denied. They denied his deity. They denied his humanity or parts of it. Just turn right a little bit more. Go to 2 John. 2 John 7. And again, very similar language and cross-reference. 2 John, just no chapter, just verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Who are they, John? Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the what? flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the what? Antichrist. I mean, I'm thinking back, are you not to John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word, what, was God. John 1, 14, and the word became, what, flesh. And there it is, very clearly. Listen, if we deny Jesus Christ, or that Jesus is the Christ, then we do not know the Father, and we are eternally lost. I mean, if you deny that, it's an entire denial of Philippians 2. Have this attitude, which, you know, was in Christ Jesus, that though he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and became a servant and so forth. I mean, if you're going to deny that, you're denying the Gospels, you're denying Philippians, you're denying, if you will, God the Father. A friend of mine who is a high-ranking government official. I wouldn't give you his name. He could get in trouble if this was this found out who he was. But he was invited to speak um, of his faith 
and he was invited to speak of his faith at a prayer breakfast. I mean, aren't you supposed to speak of your faith at a prayer breakfast? And I know my friend, I mean, he'll be as bold as bold can be. And if he's invited to speak at a prayer breakfast and a big breakfast at a unique place in our country, then he's not going to hold back. He's never been like that. He's going to share his faith. And so he got up at this prayer breakfast and he spoke about his faith and he spoke specifically about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ, the exclusivity of his names, the exclusivity of his person, and the exclusivity that you've got to have a personal relationship with Christ. Well, not but a week went by and he received a written letter by a reporter after that event. Here's what the reporter said. He said, quote, what bothered me most was your remark that you felt you had to take every occasion you could, including what he called the ecumenical prayer breakfast, to let people know that they should accept Jesus as their Savior because it might be one of the few times those people have to say to themselves and achieve eternal salvation. The writer said, the reporter, forgive me, but I do not think anyone at that prayer breakfast was without their own faith. And those of differing faiths from yours probably did not wish to be accosted by you with you pushing your own doctrine upon them. This is just typical. He says, did the reporter, I feel you should restrain, he said, the expression of your personal religious beliefs at public occasions. And don't worry, I think we'll all get to heaven one way or another under our own particular face face end of quote john would say that is a what lie we're not all going to get there we're not all going to work itself out you know john would say listen the one who denies that jesus is the christ is the liar but he says more than that look back at first john chapter two it's not just that they've lied or they're the liar He says, who is a liar, but he who denies, do you see how you can read it now, that Jesus is the Christ, this is the, what? The Antichrist. And again, it's not the figure at the end of the world, but anyone who claims Jesus is not the Christ is the spirit of Antichrist. Now look what he says, he goes on to define it even more. Not only do they deny that Jesus is the Christ, this is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the what? And the Son. Very interesting. John throughout 1 John teaches that the Father and the Son are intimately related. In fact, let me just remind you. If you look back at 1 John 1, 2. I mean, look at all the places where you have their relationship. He said there at the end of 1, 1, concerning the word of life, that's Christ. Verse 2, the life was manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. They're together. Look at verse 3. And to which we have seen and heard and proclaimed to you that which you, that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, glance down at chapter 2, 1, this relationship. My little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, 
the righteous. We have it in this text in chapter 2. Look once more at chapter 4, verse 3. You see this relationship that every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And that would be God the Father. Glance down at verse 14, 414. We have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be, what? The Savior of the world. So listen, a lot of people can talk about God. I mean, I can, and I don't, I'd have to maybe call that guy on the 9-11 funeral. Say, why'd you stop there? I mean, it's easy to talk about the love of God. It's easy to to say you'll never be separated from the love of God. Doesn't that sound good? Not height nor debt, you know, nor any other created thing can be able to separate you from the love of God. But it's always linked to this, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You cannot separate these. In fact, look at chapter 4, verse 10. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Look over at chapter 5. In verse 9, in the relationship together, if we receive in 5, 9, the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that he has borne concerning his son. Whoever believes in the son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. And so you've got to put that relationship together, and you know that. But in her book, don't mean to be offensive here, Servants of Love, Mother Teresa reveals, and you know this, her belief that all religions will be united in heaven. She wrote this, quote, We may not preach Christ as we would like to because we receive help from the government and from various agencies. And then it goes on to say that she, quote, sees God active in these people of all religions as he prepares them for an eternity of happiness with him. Interesting. I mean, people would call her a saint. And during the picture-taking session, okay, she asked, quote, the Lord to deliver a soul from purgatory for every picture that was taken. Okay? Then at this event, the archbishop gave her permission to pray, and I'm quoting here, with Jews, Armenians, which is okay, right? Um, Armenians... Anglicans, Jains, the Sikhs, I'm quoting, the Buddhist, and the Hindus, and he said it was extraordinary. All hearts united in prayer to the one true God. You see? End of quote. It's easy to talk about God, but listen, in the scripture, when you deny that God the Father has sent God the Son then you are the spirit of Antichrist. In fact, look back to the text in 1 John chapter 2. It's it's very clear. 
In fact, he says there, he who denies the Father, and he links them together, and the Son. Now watch this in verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the what? The Father. Now, I don't know exactly why it is, but John inverts the order here, okay? You'll notice at the end of 22, I don't want to be picky. He says, he who denies the Father and the Son. But here in verse 23, he inverts it. No one who denies the Son has the Father, okay? To deny the Son, in essence, is to deny also his Father who sent him. The one, then, who rejects his Son has rejected the, what? The Father as well. So deny, to deny Jesus is to deny God himself. Boy, go take that somewhere. Go say that on the evening news. Go say that at a junior college. Go say that at Fresno State. I mean, I, you know, they're not going to hear that. I mean, don't get too exclusive here, right? I mean, there's many different paths. When he says here in 23, you read it, no one who denies the Son has the Father. I mean, we know from Scripture in John 10, 30, that Jesus and the Father are what? One. We know that the Son and the Father are one in essence. We know that, ah, was it Jesus who told Philip that if you've seen me, you've seen the, what, Father. Jesus himself said, you know this one, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but, what, through me. So here's this syllogism we can put together. If Jesus is God, and he is, then to deny Jesus as God is to deny God himself. And by denying Jesus was the Christ as the only way to the Father, these false teachers were rejecting both the Father and the, what, Son. I mean, it's just so clear. Phillips, in his commentary, I think, had this comment. He said, some lies are factual lies, but he said other lies, you know, I just saw something that came in the other day that a guy by the name of David Barton, some of you might know, David Barton. He just wrote a book on Thomas Jefferson trying to categorize the history of the United States. And actually, one of the publishers just pulled his book because they said that book on Thomas Jefferson was completely filled with historical inaccuracies, completely tried to you know, blind Thomas Jefferson, who owned slaves at one time and was kind of revisionist history. So they just pulled it off the shelf, okay? Now, some lies are Factual errors, we understand that. But other lies, Philip said, reveal the utter rot and decay of the inmost soul. He said, did, did Philip's this, that the greatest fact in the history of the universe is that the great, eternal, uncreated, self-existing, second person of the Godhead entered human life by way of a virgin womb at a place called Bethlehem 2,000 years ago. Philip said, it is a lie to deny that. He said, the greatest fact in the history of our planet is that the living God, the creator of the universe, the Lord of all galaxies, was encompassed within the span of a virgin's womb and was born as a man among men. He said, to deny that is a lie. Here's what Jesus said in John 5, 23. He said, whoever... <laughs> 
Just think about it today. He said, whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. You can't honor God the father unless you honor his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That was John 5, 23. So he says, recognize here, thirdly, you got it? The Antichrist and their denial, okay? But he points it, and we'll finish with this. He says, recognize true believers, our declaration. True believers and our declaration. Look at this. Wonderful in verse 23. He says there, and I'm on the back side of 23. He says, no one the beginning who denies the son is the father. But watch this declaration. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Now, you know this. You can't have one without the other. And it is only through the Son that we can know God. It is only through His death that we can act, have access to God. To confess the Son is to have the Father also. And I think it's interesting. Look again at 23. Whoever confesses can't always see it in the NASV, or excuse me, in the ESV. Confession is in the present tense, just as the, the denial was in the present tense. So don't think that one time one person came in, these false antichrists, and said, hey, I'm not sure about this. No, they were, they were adamant. They were really adamant, and there was a continual denial of that. Here's just the opposite. Whoever confesses, and confesses it's in the present tense, okay? And here the confession is a continuing practice. It is a continuing affirmation of the faith. In fact, look over just a couple chapters. Chapter 4, verse 15. Again, I'm illustrating here just from the text. 1 John 4, 15. Whoever, same thing, 4, 15, confesses that Jesus is the Son of God... God abides in him and he in God. So maybe it'd be enough just for me to say this. Is this okay? Do you confess that? You say, oh, yes, God, I confess that. I know that to be true. Well, then you should have assurance. You say, oh, but, but I don't know. I mean, I, I look at, oh, wait, 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 time out. Do you confess Jesus is the son whom the father sent? Do you confess him and agree with God that God sent the second person of the Trinity, fully God and fully man, who died on the cross, who went into the grave, who gloriously was raised on the third day? Do you confess that? Because that's what John's after. He's not out here to pound you. He's actually helping you. He's saying, listen, they went out. They weren't of us. They were never of us. If they were of us, they would have continued with us. But they're not of us. And they went out that it might be proved that they're not of us. But you, here you are. We're singing. We're taking communion today. And if you confess the Son of God, God abides in you. Now watch this. Fascinating. Go back to the text in 2.24. He says at the end of 23, whoever confesses the Son as the Father also, let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. I love that. Let the apostolic doctrine that you've heard from the beginning. Now that could either be from the beginning of the preached gospel in the gospels. Or it could just be the beginning of their Christian faith. And I think that's what he's at. 
He's saying, let that which you have heard from the beginning, what? Abide in you. In other words, let apostolic doctrine, let the truth of Scripture, let it abide in you. Let it dwell in you. Let it be at home in your life. Continue, beloved, to believe that truth. Do not be deterred like the Athenians in Acts who love to hear something new. And so here, when it says abide in you, he's not talking about some creedal statement that you can go into one of the churches and just recite the creed, though that might not be all wrong. Here what he's talking about is truth. He's talking about that truth dwelling in your heart through a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's abiding, just simply the Greek word minnow. Now, if you look at verse 24, if you're holding a King James, and I like King James, but you see that word, abide in you? Then it says, if you've heard from the beginning, abides in you. You too, third time, will abide in the Son. King James, it's the same Greek word, but they say continue, remain, abide. But it's just the word to speak of dwelling in you. Okay? Now watch what he says. Let that word that you've heard from the beginning abide in you. And if what you've heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. Amazing. He repeats it for emphasis, and it's really a conditional statement implying that believers have this relationship with Christ and that this condition has been met, and they are continuing. You know, just a word to you. You know, we always, we're talking about assurance of salvation, and you're going to hear me affirm it, right? Once saved, we say what? Always saved. But we'd have to qualify that, right? Say, well, yeah, but Scott, you're talking about assurance. Yeah, I, I mean, if you're truly saved... Then the Holy Spirit is your guarantee. And God the Father and Jesus said that no one will snatch you, what? Out of my hand. But set alongside the sovereignty of God is the perseverance of the saints who continue to abide in the Word of God. So listen, if you're not around the people of God, not around the Word of God, banking on some past decision, but you're not abiding, you would have no assurance. I can't give you assurance. Assurance comes to the man or woman who's continuing in apostolic doctrine. It comes to the man or woman who's abiding in the Word of God. It comes to the man or woman where the Word of God is dwelling in them and the Holy Spirit is operative in you. But listen, you can't just go back to some season in your life 20 years ago like I meet with people every week here in Kingsburg. My mom and dad went here. I almost feel like saying, so what? (laughs) Well, my grandma went here. I'm like, okay, you got history. Where are you, though? And forget people. How about you? Are you abiding? Listen, you will never have assurance just based on some decision, though you might really truly be safe, but you might not have assurance. You've got to abide. Now you say, well, does abide save you? No, because ultimately in the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints, It's God who's persevering in you. And the true believer will abide. And there's a bunch of scriptures that go to this. And as you abide in him, he will, look what it says in verse 24, you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And you say, well, what happens if you continue and you abide and you love the scripture? See, this I'm convinced here. Here's where people who believe you can lose their salvation, we sometimes think, oh, well, how how can they believe that? 
Well, they believe it because of this right here. They believe it because they don't know how to explain people who took communion with them, who they heard their baptism in the water, who they served Christ and then they're gone. Listen, John might say they were never really what? Of us. See, what people are saying is you can't just fake your Christianity. you got to live it. And here John's saying here in the perseverance of the saints, you've got to continue to abide in him. Now look at verse 24. I think it's somewhat significant. If you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide, I like this, in the son and in the what? Father. I think the word order is significant. I think so. Mentioned son, then the father. You'd think it'd be the other way, typically. But the son is placed first, designating that he is the key to any relationship, what? With the father, okay? In fact, look over at 1 John 4, 15 again to signify that. He says, and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Verse 15, whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God, what? abides in him and he in God. And so you've got to abide in him. Now watch what happens if you abide in him. Like you say, what do you mean abide? You just, where would you go? I mean, you're here. You're at truth. I'm not worried about you. I'm actually worried about the people that come every other month. I'm actually worried about the people who do religion at seasons. I, I, but listen, if, if you love the Lord and he's in your heart through the Holy Spirit, he's bearing witness on you to the truth, and you're abiding, you're remaining, you're dwelling, you're loving the Lord, you're falling, you're stumbling, you're confessing, but listen, you're rising again, you're clinging to Christ, you're praying and singing as we are today, then listen, you have assurance, and when you abide in him, here's the promise, look at verse 25 that he made to us. And what is the promise? This is the promise that he made to us. What is it? Eternal life. Can you believe that? So this is your assurance. You're here. You say, well, Scott, I've always been around the truth. Well, then be assured. You say, Scott, I confess Jesus is the son of God. Then be assured. You say, I embrace his humanity, fully man." I, I believe that. You say, I embrace his deity, that he's fully God. Then be assured. And here's the promise. As you confess his name and as you abide in Christ, verse 25, the eternal life. I mean, look over at chapter 5. Isn't this what John's been preaching on? Isn't this what he's saying here? This is the testimony, and I'm in 1 John 5, 11. This is the testimony that God gave us, what? Eternal life. And this life is in his, what? Son. Here's the assurance. Whoever has the Son has, what? Life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have, what? Life. You can't be Hillary Swank. You can't just say, well, yeah, I mean, it's okay. It's not some God-man who died. No, 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 no. That's the spirit of Antichrist. But whoever has the Son has life. Look at verse 13. Here's the classic verse. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have what? Eternal life. You say, that's my affirmation. Then be assured. Look down at chapter 5, verse 20. It says there, and we know, does John say, that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding 
so that we may know him who is what? True, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal what? Life. That's your affirmation. Then be assured it's by his grace. And then there's so many other scriptures that speak of this. So I just have one final question for you. Have you confessed the Son? If you confess with your mouth Jesus as what? Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be what? Saved. Listen, John wants you to know that. And don't let anybody rob you of that. And don't let anybody tell you there's another way to God. And don't let anybody tell you to say, let's highlight God, but not highlight Jesus, okay? This is the most glorious truth in the word of God, that he was not only sinless, but holy, as God is holy. Yet he bore our sins in his body on the cross. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God. I was thinking of that hymn. Some of you older saints will remember it by Charles Gabriel. Remember when he penned these words, I stand amazed in his presence. It went like this. He took my sins and my sorrow. He made them his very what? Own. He bore my burdens on Calvary and he suffered and died alone. How marvelous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvelous, how wonderful is my Savior's what? Love for me. Listen, if you confess that, then be assured you have the possession of eternal, everlasting life that is now, but is in the age to come. Amen. Why don't you bow your head with me? Just as you bow, I'd have to say this. Is there one in here who's never confessed Jesus Christ? Maybe you're 10. Maybe you're 11. Maybe 12. Maybe you're a young man, a young woman. Maybe you've been in the, around truth. You can't live on your dad's faith, your mom's faith. Have you personally, individually, confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you confessed him as God? Have you confessed his full humanity, deities, death on the cross, and resurrection? If you've never done that, then I would plead with you, open your heart to him even now. Receive his gift of salvation that is a free gift by His grace, and you will have the wonderful reality of eternal life with God and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And if you've done that, then rejoice in that truth. Love that truth. Abide in that truth. Do not give up. Do not flinch. Do not worry about some who have maybe departed. You walk with him, knowing that as you place your trust in him, 
you will have eternal life.